Well, good morning. Good morning. It's my privilege to be with you today, share with you from the Word of God, um, something that uh, has kind of been with me for a little while, and um, it's one of those things, I, I really like pictures, um, and we're going to look at a picture of the Old Testament and maybe bring it into the New I titled the message today, uh, Remember Who You Are and Remember Where You Are Going. Remember who you are and remember who you, where we are going. Uh, so let's just look to the Lord in a word of prayer one more time. Our Father, we do bow in your presence and we, uh, we just seek a blessing from your word that you would just shine light on the page uh, this morning and direct us and guide us, Father, and let us hear the voice of God even in our hearts, Father. So we look to you at this time that your spirit would have its way uh, and that we would be a blessing one to another as we assemble uh, as your body, the church of the living God. We give you thanks for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, it's my privilege to be with you today. Um, I want to start with a story. I'm going to start with a story today. Something a little different for me. Titled Remember. True story. It is gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. Every Friday night until his death in 1973, he would return walking slowly, slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man, and he would feed them from his bucket. Many years before, in October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the Flying Fortress became lost beyond the reach of radio. Fuel ran dangerously low, so the men ditched their plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their raft. The raft uh, was nine by five, the biggest shark was about 10 feet long. But of all their enemies at sea, one proved to be the most formidable, starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone or destroyed by the salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them, and that miracle did occur. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, that was the B-17's pilot, Captain William Cherry, read the service that afternoon, and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. Nice attitude. There were some talk, but it tapered off in an oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. Now this is still the captain speaking. He said, something landed on my head, and I knew it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, I just knew. And everybody else knew too, no one said a word. But peering out from under my 
hat brim, without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that gull, because that gull meant food. And if I could catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught that gull. They, were, they had eaten it. They used some of its intestines to catch fish uh, with bait. And the survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because that lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, seemed as if it's offered itself as a sacrifice. You know that the captain made it. And you also know that he never forgot. Because every Friday evening, about sunset, on a lonely stretch along eastern Florida seacoast, you could see that old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyed, slightly bent, his bucket filled with shrimp to feed the gulls. And to remember that one, which in a day long past, seemed to give its life without a struggle. So when I had found that story, I was thinking about that and uh, how that man was impacted by what seemed to be a miracle prayer answered that a seagull would show up that far away from land, hundreds of miles away. And he remembered it and affected him for the whole of his life. And it seems interesting um, that he was moved to do that. He remembered. And my title of the message is Remember Who You Are and Remember Where We're Going. His life seems to be full of challenges. It seems to be harder to get through these days. Um, with the world that's changed all around us, we wonder how you know, our identity, if we will, is, is changing, and we're struggling maybe a little bit as Christians. And these words come back to my mind is remember. Remember who we are. Remember who we are. And I want to go to an Old Testament story um, that might be a little picture of this idea of remember who we are if we can turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, the fifth book in the Old Testament. Remember who we are, remember where we are going. Joshua, in, in chapter 1, in verse 1, we'll read down through the nine verses. And this is one of the passages that it really just speaks to me. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. In every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you. All the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land 
that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I mentioned this passage, it seems to me that this is the remember who you are type passage. Um, the Lord spoke to Joshua here, and oftentimes we wonder where the direction from the Lord is in our lives. In some way, somehow, he might communicate us. He did in this case, and he seems to, uh, to want us to know exactly that he is not very far away. I like the bluntness that he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Time to move on. Moses is dead. It's time to move on. And, uh, and he's going to lead him down this road on there. Remember who you are. Remember where you are going. So he gives them these instructions, if you will, in three times. And I, I take this that Joshua might have been a little nervous about what was in front of him. Because three times he tells them within four verses to be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. It's got to be a battle. He's going to lead all these people across. And God will call them out, and he's going to bring them out. And now it's to the point where he's going to bring them in. He's going to bring them out, and he's going to bring them in. In verse 5, I like the encouragement so much. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. These are encouraging words to me because the battle in front of them was huge. It was enormous for what they had to do. They had obstacles to come. And I would think it would be very easy to fail as a leader in this position. Joshua could have had doubt. He might have had trouble leading the people. Maybe he doubted God that he had the ability to come through or not. These things sometimes enter our minds as believers when we walk with the Lord. We have doubts when things come our way and challenges come our way. These are all things that can hold us down and make us forget who we are and make us retreat from our Christian walk with the Lord, and we can stumble and fall backwards. So, you know, this is where Joshua is. He's getting ready to lead the people. The Lord comes and speaks to him and gives them these promises uh, that they can encourage them, that they can move forward. Um, and that's what's going to happen. And let's jump over to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Um, so chapter 3 is when they actually do cross the Jordan. They have a specific, specific way in which they cross the Jordan with the ark going in first, and then the waters separate, and then they're able to cross over on dry, dry ground. And it's chapter 4 that is really the picture that I want to look at and spend a few moments on this morning, chapter 4. It's the memorial of these 12 stones. God knows that we forget. God knows that sometimes we struggle with remembering. God knows that we have things that cause us to doubt, that can paralyze us, that can set us back. 
Um, and he's looking to see if we will trust him, if we will look to him. But in this passage, he tells them to do something very specific in Joshua 4. After they crossed, you remember God's promise in the old. He said, I will bring you out and I will bring you in. And that's speaking of the promised land, this place that he was bringing them. He brought them out of the bondage that they were in in Egypt. And if we can remember back to the Red Sea, how that happened. They were um, exactly where the Lord had told them to be. He had said to leave and to go this specific way. And they were between two mountains and then a sea on the backside. Then they had the army coming on the front side. So they had no escape. Their back was to the wall. They were helpless and hopeless at the Red Sea. And the message to them was stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And that's what they did. They cried out. After they complained, then they cried out to the Lord. And he delivered them. And you guys remember what he did at that point in time. He let them cross on dry ground. He parted the sea so they can escape. And they crossed on dry ground. So he brought them out. I think it's kind of interesting. We didn't read it in chapter 3. But when he brings them in, he does the same thing. He parted the water so that they can enter into the land. And I think that's interesting, that he brought them out and he's going to bring them in, and it's by a miracle both times that God provided. As he said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. He was able to deliver on his promise, and he did. So here we are in chapter 4, and he gives the command to have these stones. Let's read about what happens here in chapter 4 of Joshua. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men of the people from each man a tribe. And he commanded them, saying, Take twelve stone, stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. Verse 6. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to a place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua shut up the 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there they are to this day. So here we have these stones. He's told to take the stones out of the water where they were, walked on dry ground, and set them up so that they may be a sign, that they may be a sign for your children, that they may ask what these stones mean. 
To me, it's the remembrance of it. God delivered you on this day by this miraculous power. And I think God knows our frame. He knows when we stumble. He knows when we don't remember things. And maybe there's no coincidence why we have a weekly meeting to remember the Lord Jesus. This do in remembrance of me. We had that this morning, and it was precious to hear how great the Lord Jesus is this morning, that there's none greater than him. And I remember this morning as we were participating this morning, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this great one that we've heard about this morning, and then we read Romans 5.8, that Christ died for us when we were yet sinners. This great one died for us when we were yet sinners. God gives us a remembrance every week to remember what was done for us. Just like they were delivered, so we have a, 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 night, a meeting to remember how he delivered us as well. Memorial forever. Um, those stones would speak um, about the stories of which uh, God had delivered them. I'm going to call them stones of witness. Stones of witness, because they bore testimony. They were stones. They didn't speak, but yet they did. They did speak. They would be able to tell your kids of what the Lord had done. To me, this is the message that they spoke. One, the stones were very faithful because they didn't take a break. They're stones, right? They're going to be there. You're always going to walk by them. You're going to see them every day that you walk by that place and you had the opportunity to share with somebody uh, just by looking at those stones and bearing testimony to what God had done for them. They were a memorial. They were a reminder of God's deliverance. They were faithful. The other thing I think they spoke of, um, in my mind, those stones spoke of God's presence with them. We read in chapter 1 that he would not leave them or forsake them. He knew where they were. He knew what obstacles were in front of them. It would speak of his presence with them. And sometimes we struggle with that. We struggle with, doesn't he see what's going on in my life? Doesn't he know where I'm at right now? Doesn't he understand the burdens that I'm under, the weight that I'm carrying? Doesn't he see where is he? This picture tells me that he knew exactly where they were. And while the road was difficult, he knew. And he was there. And he was able to help. It also speaks to me of his provision for them. They may have done it any other different way that they wanted to, but they wouldn't give him the glory. It speaks to me of his provision for them. Sometimes we know that he provides for us, that um, it talks about the promises in the New Testament, how even the sparrows, they don't have to worry about their food. God cares for them too, how much more us as well. They may be challenged in his provision for us sometimes, but he does provide. Sometimes we may ask things of him that may not be within his will, but he provides. So these, spone, these stones spoke of his presence with them. They spoke of his um, provision for them. And to me, they also speak of his sufficiency. They speak to me of his sufficiency because he was able to bring them through. He had got done what he had promised them to do. He promised to bring them out and bring them in. And he had accomplished that. They were in the land. They had crossed over. He was sufficient. So that's the way these stones speak to me. They're stones of witness that speak of God and his mighty power to bring them out, to bring them in, of, of what he is accomplishing for them. Um, and it's just a picture. And now we want to take a jump through the New Testament. 
we're going to do a quick little word study through the book of Acts. And I said these things were stones of witness. In my mind, these are stones of witness. And we're going to grab maybe five passages. And when you think of the word witness, what comes to mind is something that bears testimony, something that gives a experience that they had saw, um, something that they know about uh, firsthand, that they saw it with their eyes, they can give an accurate testimony. And I think um, the apostles were often called witnesses. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 as we... We're going to do some page turning rather quickly. We're not going to spend time in context. Acts chapter 1. So similar to the Old Testament, they wanted to be delivered, and God did deliver in Acts chapter 1. Um, this was after the resurrection of the Lord. Their first thing that they say in verse 6 is, um, will you at this time restore the kingdom? They wanted to be delivered too. They wanted to be delivered. They wanted to get out from under their bondage. They wanted their lives to change. But verse 8 is where I want to go. Verse 8. And it says, but you will receive power. This is his reply about um, restoring the kingdom. He says in verse, I'll go to verse 7. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. My plan is a little different. Just like before he wanted to accomplish something a specific way, here he's going to do the same thing. My plan is different than yours in verse 6. I'm not going to set up the kingdom now. I have something else in mind. I'm going to deliver a different way. And he's going to give them power when the Holy Spirit comes. They didn't expect that, I'm pretty sure. Um, but you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You are going to be the ones that speak for me. You are going to be the ones that bear testimony for me. Not just in Jerusalem. In Samaria somewhere you don't want to go, Judea, to the ends of the earth. He's going to move out. Next passage is Acts 2.32. Acts 2.32. This is still speaking about, in context, Peter's sermon on Pentecost. And now he's preaching that day. In verse 32, he says this, And this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. They were a witness that the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. And they were bearing testimony to what they had seen and experienced. Check out verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, for a certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. They were bearing witness to what God had done. This man you thought was a criminal was not. He is both Lord and Christ. And it goes on. They were his witnesses. Chapter 3, verse 15. 
verse 14 for context, but you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life to whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. To this we are witnesses. First-hand experience. And I love the detail in this passage here. You killed the author of life. They, they wanted one who took life, and they wanted to get rid of the one who gives life. Pretty amazing perspective. Um, they asked for a murderer and didn't want the Messiah. But they were witnesses of this, and they spoke up, and they had said that. Chapter 5, verse 32. They were preaching. Context, they were preaching. They got arrested. They were thrown into prison. Miraculously, they were brought out of prison. And they were going back to preach the very next day. Jump in in verse 28. It says, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet you are, have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. And God exalted him at, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Some translations in verse 31 say God exalted him at his right hand as prince and savior. Most other translations do say prince. Verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things. We witnessed these things. We saw them. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. We witness these things. The Holy Spirit agrees with us. This is Jesus whom you crucified. We are His witnesses. And the last one is Acts 13.31. Acts 13.31. This is Paul bearing testimony. So we had Peter speaking about being witnesses. Now we have Paul speaking about being witnesses. We'll jump in at verse 30. But God raised him from the dead for many days, and he appeared to those who who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, whom are now his witnesses to the people. They were his witnesses to the people. And we bring you good noise, uh, good news that God had promised to the fathers. Bringing the promises. They were witnesses. And I've said that and taken you on this little journey to bring you to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. A familiar passage to us. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to Him, coming to Him, that's our Savior, Lord Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. A living stone. 
The Lord Jesus is the cornerstone. He is a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You yourselves, all the folks standing in front of you this morning, are stones of witness, are living stones that are built up into a spiritual house. You bear testimony of the work that the Lord Jesus did in your lives. You remember what he has done, how he's provided, how he has been there for you, how he has protected, how he's been sufficient. These living stones God had in the Old Testament, there were stones there to remember how he had delivered his people, how he had kept his promise, how he had brought them through. In the New Testament, that's us that are saved, that are believers. We are the living stones that bear testimony of what he has done. And it's an amazing picture to me that God would use vessels such as us that we can speak for him, about him, to those around us that may ask, why are you that way? How come you aren't crushed with the weight of what you're walking through right now? How come you're living the way you have? It's because you have a relationship with one that you have confidence in him that he can protect, he can provide, he will deliver, he is sufficient. You are that living stone today. You are his witness today. He used a witness back then to encourage his people to say, hey, days are rough, things are hard, you know what? Let's look at those stones. Remember a day when he provided and he came through and he will do it again. And today that's one of us. He's gathered us together in the church to encourage one another when difficulties come that we can pray for one another, that we can lift each other up, that we can help each other. Remember who you are as a believer in Christ and the promises that you have as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are living stones. He has provided. But not only that, my message is titled, Remember Who You Are, and we have remembered who we are. But remember where we're going. He has told us that. And if you had another hour, we'll talk about that too. I don't think we have that much time. But let's just, for a glance, let's just go to Revelation 21, 22, Revelation 19. Revelation 19, we won't, we won't get into it there, but that's when the Lord comes back and takes over. He takes possession. And if we're believers, we believe we're going to be there too. I'm going to suggest that we are in verse 14 of chapter 19. It says this, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. I think that's us after the rapture. I think that's us. We're following him. We're part of the victory. When we remember who we are, we need to look forward to the day when he has his victory. And that's this day. That is this day. But look what else he has prepared. Let's flip the page to chapter 21. Remember who you are. Remember where we're going. This is where we're going. Revelation chapter 21, a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth from which the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no more sea. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's where we're going. We're going to dwell with him. Verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. We have to look forward to. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. So we have to look forward to. As believers in Christ. It should encourage us when we have difficult days coming our way. And we will have them. There's no doubt we will. Speaks of protection in verse 8. Things that harm us won't be there. Chapter 22. Verse 1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, and through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, a tree of life. We were once barred from the tree of life. Now we have a tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for a healing of the nations. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. See His face. Do you remember that day? It's something to look forward to. See His face. No one else has been able to see His face. There will be no more night. They will not need a lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Spurgeon had made a comment about the value of a soul. He said the soul must be extremely valuable, for God desires them, and so does Satan. We are stones of witness, living stones. Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to rip us to shreds. God wants us to be his trophies, to be his sons, to show his great power. How much are we worth as living stones that the Son of God that we spoke of this morning would give his life for us as people? It's encouraging. It's remembering who we are and remember where we're going as we consider the days in front of us. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we have looked into your word. And from cover to cover, your desire is to have a people that you would fellowship with. 
and you had a plan. And you know our frailties, you know how we'd fail, you know how we forget. We know how, in Malachi, it said, what has God done for me lately? We often fall short. We can have that mindset. But our Father, we also remember that you've set up things to help us. These stones of witness, a remembrance meeting weekly. Father, we pray that we would value the person sitting next to us as you do, that we would see them through your eyes. We give you thanks for these truths and ask your blessing on this meeting here in your son's name.